Over the past two weeks, we've addressed a couple related questions. And I know you're thinking, I don't remember them, Pastor Jerry. Would you please refresh our memory? You got it right here. We found that God addressed both of these questions, these issues, like with cosmic-level answers, right? It was amazing. The last couple of weeks, I've been amazed, right? The first question, um, in light of Jesus, could the church do in the book of Acts or even today what Jesus had done in the book of Luke, right? In light of Jesus, could the church do what it has been called to do? And God responded with three, like, loud answers. The first answer was, we're the body of Christ, Right? By breaking bread together. And I don't know how this, this is like beyond, this is like one of the greatest, maybe the greatest mystery in the universe is when we break bread together, somehow we are the body of Christ here on earth, right? right? We're, we're not represented, we are his body here on earth. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? As his body, we're guided and empowered by his, by being filled with his Holy Spirit. And then finally the ascension, right? So Jesus is still calling the shots from heaven. Only now by his spirit through us instead of through him in person in Jerusalem. And the second question we looked at in light of Jesus would repeat, would history repeat itself, right? Would the new church with its ends of the earth calling, right, reject that calling like the nation of Israel had done when they rejected that calling to be a blessing to the whole earth? They enjoyed the blessing so much they kind of kept it to themselves, right? You understand how that happens. And so God responds with two huge Huge answers. The first is a guy named Paul, right? A, a Gentile, not even a Jew. Well, I, he was a Jew of Jews, but he, he had a heart for Gentiles, right? He just, he had a heart. It, it just, like maybe the other 12, now 11, didn't have. So God kind of calls a 13th apostle and says, go get them, right? Because my guys here in Jerusalem, they're, they're, they're starting out a little slow. So I'm going to send you, Paul, kind of out in front of them. Um, and then Pentecost, right? The Pentecost experience was his second answer. Just as a supernatural sight, sound, and a voice had given the first covenant, right, on Mount Sinai, written on stone tablets, in the exact same way, a, a, a supernatural sight, sound, and, and voice writes the new covenant on their hearts and on their minds. And I, I get the impression is because, like, this time God said, I don't want you to forget, <laughs> right? Like, you remember the first 10 tablets? First of all, they got broken. Then he had to go get new ones. And then they lost them. Y'all know that, right? They lost them. So God's like, eh, I'm not going to have that happen again. I'm going to write them on their minds and on their hearts. I don't know if that was going through his mind. That was what was going through my mind. Um, so we learn also that if Israel... Or any of us or anybody decides to not heed God's call if we're like obstinate or obstructionist in any way, shape, or form. We all learn what he does. He just goes around you, right? He'll find somebody else that will follow his way, that will follow his son. He'll find somebody. He'll, he'll just work right around us. Also at Pentecost, at a cosmic level, Right, I keep saying that. I can't think of any other word. Right, the blessing of Pentecost was a dramatic reversal of the curse at Babel. Right, at Babel, human languages were confused and nations were scattered. But in Jerusalem on Pentecost Sunday, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign. Right, as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together in Christ. Right, we were singing about that just a little bit ago. At Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven. 
Whereas in Jerusalem at Pentecost, heaven humbly descended to earth. But that proud nature, that proud nature in us is still there. It's, it's still there. It's, it's still a part of us, that, that, that pride. Um, nations, you drive around on a Sunday and you'll find that nations very seldom worship together. But that, but that was the goal, is that the nations would gather together and we would worship together, and, and we don't see that very often, very often at all. God calls us to something new and dangerous, like a new land to take, and what do we do? We do like what the ancient Israelites did. They, they got scared, and they, they retreated back into what was comfortable and safe, and, and we kind of do that. God calls us, now no, I got a land for you to take. Have faith. You can take this new land, this new territory, these neighborhoods, and we go, no, oh, that's, that's an awful lot of work. <laughs> it's... You sure you can't find somebody else? (laughs) In fact, it's what led to Paul to write these words of hope to the church at Ephesus because they were struggling. They they were struggling with these new ways. So he he writes this. He writes, "I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit. Now watch this closely. The spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It's not as comforter that the Holy Spirit is given in this situation that, that, that Paul is, is writing in, right? It, it's as revelator of new things and an and encourager to see these new things as a real possibility, right? In, in light of Jesus, these, these new things. Um, the wisdom, right, to take in this new information because a lot of people, you know, you all know that we don't, we, don't, we don't like change. And so Paul's praying, change is good. Change is good. Open up your hearts. Open up your minds. Keep reading in verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order. Now, now watch this. This is kind of crazy. It caught my attention here. The qualifier in this passage isn't belief. It's kind of what we always think of, right? If I believe, then everything comes true for me. But he's saying right here that in order to get all, in order to get the hope and the riches and his incomparable great power for us who do believe... In order for all that to happen, the eyes of our heart has to be open. We have to see what the Holy Spirit is doing that's radically new and different. And we've all gotten used to the way things have always been, and we really like the way things have always been. But the Holy Spirit is always doing something new, always doing something new. So Luke, Luke has to address that proud nature in us, that, that part of us that says, I don't need to learn anything new. Right? I'm comfortable with doing the thing, the way the things, the way that I've been doing them for a really long time. Generations, in fact. And, I, and we really like it that way. <laughs> we do. We hate change. We love. We love to understand and, and, and contain and control. Right? We, that, that's what we do. And then if anybody comes and I'll tell you what, I can, I can set your hearts racing right now with just a simple sentence. I want you to think about your iPhones and I want you to think about the term upgrade needed. Right now, my guess is about eighty percent of you, your heart rate just jumped a little bit. I upgrade. Oh my! Oh no! I finally figured out how it works, and now they're going to upgrade on me again. I hate change. Right? And we do. We all. We all. We all hate change. Right? We have. We love this illusion that we can control things because it gives us peace. Right? But here's the kicker. The kicker is this: this illusion. Right? This peace that we all search for. Right? It, Rarely serves the Holy Spirit's purposes. Just kind of let that sink in a little bit. We all want peace. No waves. 
And yet the Holy Spirit saying, no, man, I, we, we got things to do. We got challenges in front of us, and they're going to take hard work and hard prayer. And no, it's not time to go to sleep yet. <laughs> we, got, we got things to do. We got work to do. And again, in this passage, right, belief isn't the qualifier. It's wisdom. It's wisdom and, 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 and you know, the ability to take in this new information. Because in light of Jesus, everything, everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will be has radically changed. I don't know if we, we don't realize that, but the, the, the New Testament writers, the early, the early Christian band, this is, they, they got this. They, they finally got it, right, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because before the Holy Spirit, man, they, couldn't, they didn't find up from down. They were just all over the place. Um, but in light of Jesus, everything that was, is, and will be has changed. Nothing is as it was, right? Everything, everything is changed. The way we view the past, the way we continue to view the past, Right? With Jesus, in light of Jesus, we're forgiven of our past. Now, the consequences we still got to deal with, but even then, we're dealing with it with Jesus by our side. And our todays and our tomorrows and our, 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 our eternities, they're all changed the way we address them, the way we live them out in light of Jesus. Everything, everything changes. Even Holy Scripture is handled differently in light of Jesus. Right? In light of Jesus, now watch this. Peter's going to, Peter, Luke first, and then, then Peter. They're going to take Holy Scripture, right? Like, like Scripture that these, the, the apostles and the crowds had known for forever almost. And, and he's going to change them in light of Jesus. It's called Pesher. This is kind of a, an Old Testament. Well, it's not an Old Testament. It was a way of interpreting Scripture, um, called Pesher, um, and what they would do is they, they would interpret an Old Testament passage in light of its fulfillment, right? For example, we're going to look at the book of Joel right now, and Joel, in the book of Joel, it's like the, the, the end times passage that the Jewish people, like that, that's the, the, the passage of all passages, right, that, that describes the end times. Um, and in that book of Joel, when Peter brings it back up, he's going to change it because we can't keep looking at the book of Joel that talks about the day of the Lord in which Jesus ushered in. We can't go back to that book of Joel and read it like that hasn't happened yet. So we literally, and what we're going to see this in this morning, Jesus literally goes in and changes the words because now they've been fulfilled. This pesher, this is that. This, what you experience right here in Pentecost, is what Joel was talking about. This is that. This is that, this pesher kind of thing. Jesus did it during his ministry, too. You recognize this. He'd say things like, you know, your forefathers said this and said that, and, and well, uh, you've witnessed it here today, right? And he would say, you know, your forefathers spoke about this, that, or the other thing, and, well, I am he, Right? Even, even in, like when he was reading from the scroll in Isaiah, right? The spirit of the Lord is on me and, and the, 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 the lame will walk and the, and the blind will see. And, and, and it, what does he close it with? Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Literally, he's telling the crowd, this? He's pointing to himself. Jesus is that. I'm what they were talking about. And it, it kind of shocked them. This is all brand new information to them. Like, we've kind of gotten used to it. But to those first hearers, whew, radically different, radically different. The Apostle Paul did it throughout his letters, too. He would quote Scripture. And I always used to think, man, he can't quote Scripture to save his life. He was, he was re-quoting it in light of Jesus. 
That's just amazing, just amazing stuff. In fact, this is what Jesus was doing on the road to Emmaus. I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 24 here. We're going to, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, but I've got to go back to Luke. Chapter 24, this is verse 27. He's walking with the two. You know, he appears. The two disciples are all depressed, and they're in just a dark place. And, and suddenly Jesus appears beside them and starts talking with them. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to these two guys or two disciples, we don't even know if it was two guys. He explained to them what was said to, in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now listen, you, I'll tell you this. You can read through the entire New Old Testament. You will not find Jesus. You will not find the words Jesus. You, what you'll find is a whole lot of references to a king, right? A coming king who would restore the glory of Israel. That's what you kind of kept hearing about. So in, in, in verses 30 and 31... When he was at the table with them, he broke bread. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, right? And they recognized him, and, and then he disappeared from their sight. Another story entirely. Um, again, lots of promises about a future king that would restore the glory of Israel. But according to this passage and many of the other New Testament writers, you know, according to the disciples and certainly Luke right here, um, this Jesus is that king, Right? This Jesus is that king that you guys are, have been talking about and our prophets have been talking about and Moses has been talking about and the Psalms have been talking about. This Jesus is that guy. And Jesus is that, that guy. In the light of Jesus, they were finally able to see him, both physically and they were able to see him in their scriptures. It's like scales fell away and they're like, oh. Like that sound effect there. Chapter 30, verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures to us? Right? I, I read that. Uh, hearts were burning. I, I get the impression that it's not like John Wesley, you know, my heart was strangely warmed. Right? I, that's not what they're driving at. I, I get this distinct impression. They finally recognized Jesus died for them. I think it finally dawned on them. This is what he was talking about. He was going to save us. That's, that's what it was all. And you're going to see this again in a little bit, right? When it, once everything hits them, the full realization of what went on and what Christ did, it, they don't even know what to do. I'll get to that. So again, Jesus does the same thing a bit later in Jerusalem, right? He appears to the disciples. They're all waiting. There's, there's supposedly about 120 of them. They're in this house, and some of them are in a upper room, whatever, and they're, you know, they're all around. And he appears to them, and, and like they're behind a locked door you know, at this point. Luke chapter 24, again, verse 44, it says, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be filled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And again, you don't see Jesus' name, but he's saying, Watch closely. Right? The disciples are like, like, We've never read about you in any of our scriptures. And Jesus says, Oh, yeah, we'll read again this time, this time by the power of my Holy Spirit. And they do. And they do. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Verse 45. So to the two on the Emmaus Road and to the disciples, Jesus was directing them to reread their scriptures in light of what they had experienced and what they had seen in him, what they had seen him do, what they had seen him, what had happened to him, crucified, and the fact that he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Reread everything in light of all that 
And boom, 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 boom. Lights go on everywhere. Like they're, they're making, they're connecting the dots, right? The disciples now understand it. And Peter's going to make a speech here like, you know, he suddenly, he got it, right? But it took the Holy Spirit, a touch, a touch from Christ for him to fully, fully understand Again, what Jesus was doing was reinterpreting well-known scriptures with well-known characters and inserting himself as the hero in the story. So, again, a lot of the, you know, they're like, what, Eddie? This wasn't new, but it was a little shocking for them. Um, again, strangely enough, now this is, this is I, I was kind of thinking about this. People do this today, but they do it in reverse. They do it in reverse. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm just going to call it unkosher pesher. I feel like some people read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. You ever run into somebody like that? They tell you how bad you are and how abomination you are and this, that, and everything, but they never get to Jesus. And you walk away feeling like God's going to crush you with his horrible vengeance and wrath at any moment, and like they never got to Jesus. Right? Instead of reading the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, in light of Jesus, the, people do it in the opposite direction, and, and it gets hateful, and it gets mean. I'll tell you what, can I just give you some advice? Run from anybody who puts the law in front of grace. Or they tell you that you're really, really bad, but they forget to tell you how bad they were and the fact that Christ died for them, too. If they forget to tell you that, remind them. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I can say. Um, this pesher thing is what Peter is doing in his second speech, right? He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna give a lot of speeches in the book of Acts. In fact, let me just say a word about those speeches. Um, the book of Acts, we call it the book of Acts, but it's actually the book of Acts and speeches, right? Uh, depending on who you talk to, there's between 20 and 30 speeches in this book. And you're like, why? Why, why, why all these speeches? Well, you go back to the very first line of the book. And what does Luke say? I'm, I'm writing this book in order to teach you what Jesus did and taught, his acts and what he taught. And, he's, and, and Luke's going to teach through the speeches of Peter and a few of the others. Right, so, and, I, and I've listed a few here. There's, you know, depending on who you talk to, what scholar you look at, that, that list might change a little bit. Um, but so here, here's what happens. Salvation is accomplished in the book of Luke. And then in the book of Acts, that same salvation is proclaimed, right? It's accomplished in the book of Luke, and it's proclaimed in the book of Acts, and it's explained, proclaimed through a whole bunch of speeches. So, um, and it was going to be a very, very hard sell for Luke, you know, in, in writing this book, that he, this two-book volume set that he's writing um, to the Jewish people because they were very, very set in their ways, right? The Jewish religion was very, very rigid. It was, it's called cultic, right? You had to do rituals exactly the correct way or it didn't work. It was almost, almost bordering on magic kind of thing. Right? And, and, and it was an equally hard sell to his Greek readers. Right? Their opinion was there's a God everywhere, and you just need to pick one, but make sure you honor all of them. doesn't matter which one you pick. They're all good. And like, so, so Peter, or you know, first Luke, uh, you know, and, then, and then Peter, and then later in the book of Acts was Paul. They're all trying to, how do we do this? How do we, how do we speak this truth into these two cultures that are so pushed back? with this Jesus thing. So Peter begins at the very, very beginning. Only this time in light of Jesus, right? Picking up from last week, you know, the, the, the Pentecost had happened and the people were like, they're amazed and they're perplexed and they ask one another, what does this mean? 
right? Because on the day of Pentecost, Jews from all over the Mediterranean basin had gathered in Jerusalem, and they heard these Galilean fishermen and tax collectors and whatnot speaking in their home languages from where they had been born, right? And they, and the, the, and they were speaking about the, the glories of God, the amazing things of God. And they, and they were just like, what does this mean? And we looked at it last week. What this means is that God dropped the Jewish people, right? He shattered the glass ceiling that they were standing on top of, right, looking down on everybody else. He shattered that ceiling and dropped them into a world of people who they used to think weren't worthy. God's like, well, let me fix your wagon. Let me put you right in amongst them. Um, So all this is going on. Um, and, and a crowd gathers outside, and, and some were seeking an earnest answer, like, what does this mean? Um, but others scoffed, right? They're drunk. They've had too much wine. But Peter had a different explanation. So what Luke has just described in verses 1 through 13, he's now going to have Peter in a speech explain, right? Here's what y'all just saw. I'm going to connect it this is that. That's what he's going to do. He's going to go, what you just saw, let's look back into our Old Testament. It's that. This is that. So Peter stands up with the 11, raises his voice, and addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I mean, how bad are these Galileans, really? They're drunk at nine in the morning. Um, Again, this is first of several, like, misunderstandings in light of Jesus, right? This is great. Uh, Verse 16, no, Peter says, this, this is that. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is that. This is what you've seen and witnessed at Pentecost. This is that, what Joel was talking about. And this is what Joel wrote. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I want you to watch something very, very closely. If you flip in your Bibles back to the book of Joel, you will see that Peter is misquoting. He's reinterpreting the Old Testament prophecy in light of Jesus. If you go back to Joel, it doesn't say in the last days. It says afterwards. After the day of the Lord. See, the Jewish people, they, they, they had everything divided up into two ages, right? Um, this age and the age to come. And the two ages would be separated by the great and horrible, the, the great and, and dreadful like day of the Lord. And, and, and the passage that everybody talked about that would usher in the age to come would be that pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Like that, that was the passage that everybody that knew. And when that happened, it's on, right? It's, it's on. And so you'll notice Peter changed the first sentence. Instead of writing afterwards, he says, in the last days. He's making sure his readers understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage right here. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. You can't read Joel. Basically, he's telling the people, you can no longer read Joel the way you have been reading it. You've been reading it, waiting for the Messiah? Well, he's here. You need to start reading it as if it has now been fulfilled. Stop reading it as if 
you're still waiting. You remember, I love this, when, when Jesus ascended, right, two angels appear, and they're like, you know, the disciples are like, uh, it's like, guys, what are you waiting for? Get, get moving, right? You got work to do. Kind of, kind of going on in the last days. These are the last days. One more thing to notice here. You notice, hit that next slide there. All people, right? Sons, daughters, young men, old men. Hit that next slide there. Verse 18 and 19. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. So Luke, the theologian and evangelist, is making it very, 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 very clear that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not for just the Jewish people. Don't make that mistake again. It is for everybody. It is for everybody. Verse 20 and 21, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming. The great and, y'all catch this? You look back in Joel and it's the great and horrible? What, what, what was it? Um, Dreadful. It was the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord, but Peter changes it. It's like, no, it's, Jesus isn't dreadful. It's the best news in the world. Now it's the, the great and glorious day. He's reinterpreting Scripture in light of Jesus, in light of Jesus. And again, for the Jewish people, the two ages, bam, this is, this is going to be it. Again, the New Testament writers were absolutely convinced that Jesus had inaugurated the day of the Lord or the last days Right, that would usher in from the age that is to the age to come, that would be the messianic age, and everyone would be beautiful and wonderful, and Israel would be amazing, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Right? The New Testament writers were absolutely convinced that Jesus inaugurated this day of this last day, this, these last days, um, and the proof of it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right? Since this was again the Old Testament promise of promises for the end time. So as soon as there was the pouring out of the Spirit, like the people who were really looking at their Scripture, like, <laughs> they're just so excited. Now, again, whether, you know, the blood and all that, um, you know, we read, you know, from Good Friday and, and throughout the appearances, there was crazy stuff going on. I, and, and, I don't, and again, we, some scholars kind of lean into that's what was going on, like natural upheavals and graves, you know, being opened up. Uh, or maybe it was just a kind of a metaphysical kind of thing where, where finally God was breaking into history. That would be the upheaval, that he's breaking in and like, you know, history's been going on. He's going to break in. See, the Israelite people, they, they, they knew, they kind of had this idea that they were going to be a great, great nation, but they're always a tiny, tiny, tiny little nation, right? You read about their great nations around them, and they very seldom even mentioned Israel. And so they eventually got to the point where, well, we'll probably never be this great and glorious nation. So the only way this is going to happen is God's going to have to break into history. And so a lot of the Jews, this is, this is what's going on. This is the upheaval in, in their minds, but anyway, the dreadful day is now a glorious day. Also notice the last sentence, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you go back to the book of Joel, read it carefully. This passage is talking about Yahweh, the Heavenly Father. Right? Before, it had been Yahweh who would protect survivors on Mount Zion. But now, as Peter continues with his speech, he tells his hearers, it's not about Yahweh, this is about Jesus. This is about his son, Right, reinterpreting in light of the fulfillment. He attributes this passage to Jesus. Whoever saves, who saves anyone from sin and judgment, whoever calls on his name. And then Peter continues this, this, this 
pesherine, right? Pesher. Uh, he uses the 16th Psalm and then the 101st, 110th Psalm. I'm going to kind of go quickly through this. But in both of these, Peter tells the crowd in both of these Psalms, that's not David that's being talked about. It's actually Jesus. They're like, what? Watch this. David said about him. This is, again, he's now going to quote from Psalm 16, which the Jewish people had always understood to be about David. And so he says, David said about him, and, and this is the kicker, he said about the Messiah, not about himself. This is what David said about the Messiah. I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Verse 26 and 27, therefore my heart is glad. This is the 16th Psalm that's being quoted here by Peter. My tongue rejoices, my body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Right, to which Peter responds, look, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David is dead. He's buried. He's right down the street. You can go look at his tomb. This passage is not about David like you all thought. He continues, watch this. He says, verse 30, but he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on earth that he would, re an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. In other words, this guy, Jesus, is the guy that David is referring to in the psalm, not himself. It's like reinterpreting in light of Jesus. Verse 31, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah and that he, the Messiah, was the one not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor his body, the Messiah's body, not David's body, that would see decay, right? Peter informs the surprised crowd that Psalm 16 is about Jesus. David's dead and buried. The only person this could be possibly about is Jesus. Again, Peter in reinterpreting Old Testament passages in light of its fulfillment in Jesus. He continues, verse 32 and 33. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Now watch this. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, and this is where he's going to look at Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, David is saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make the enemies a footstool at your feet. But the fact of the matter is God never made the world a footstool at the feet of David, but he did make the world a footstool at the feet of Jesus. And Peter's saying, it's not about David. This passage y'all thought was about David. It's about Jesus reinterpreting. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus is that king that was being spoken of in Psalm 116 and 110, right? And y'all crucified him. You all crucified him. Now, I want to just say really very, very quickly, we have a really nasty habit of looking back on the ancient Israelites and thinking what buffoons they were. <laughs> like, Jesus, right? How, how, could they, how could they have messed it up? Like, if... We all want to say, man, if I were there, I would have made the right decision every single time. You've all thought that. I, I know you've done it because I've done it like a zillion times. Like, man, those guys were idiots. <laughs> but what the, the, the disciples understood, that this is the depth to which sin would take a person, that they could actually believe that it was the right thing to do to kill the Son of God. So if you think, oh, that could never be me. You've already started. You've already started down that road. Because sin is that horrible. 
And with sin in your life, you can fall to those kind of depths that you would actually kill the Son of God. All this new wisdom, all this new revelation, given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, remember, without which, like as we've read, they couldn't figure out anything, right? They literally couldn't see Jesus. But now the eyes of their hearts have been opened, right, by the love of Jesus and the illuminating, truth-telling power of his Holy Spirit. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, right? Just like the two guys on the Emmaus Road. We crucified him. We what? They were cut to the chase. Brothers, what, what, what should we do? What, what, what should we do? And I want to close right there. Today I want to ask you that same question. Right? If everything has changed in light of Jesus... What now in your life? What do you need to re-examine, right, in, in light of Jesus? Maybe, you know, I know a lot of people, this has been their witness, their testimony, that before Jesus, right, certain things didn't bother them in their life, certain really mean things. They never even thought about it. But then in light of Jesus, right, suddenly it bothered them. Like suddenly it was a moral imperative that they had to stop doing what they once thought was no big deal. In light of Jesus, it was a big deal, but it took Jesus, the light of Jesus, to shine on their life for them to realize this isn't right. This, this isn't right. This isn't loving. This is hurting people. In light of Jesus, maybe the marriage that you were thinking of giving up on you know now you can't. In light of Jesus, you can't give up. The way you've been treating your spouse and your kids and your, maybe your boss, your employees, in light of Jesus, maybe you need to treat them differently. Because in light of Jesus, everything has changed. Everything's different. Even as a church, right, in light of Jesus, are, are, we, are we spending our time and our money in light of Jesus, are we doing what he's called us to do? Or are we stepping back? Are we stepping back? Oh, maybe somebody else could do that. Probably more importantly this morning than anything else, in light of Jesus, why are some of you still pushing back? Why are some of you still running, avoiding God? I want to challenge you this morning in light of Jesus. Give him a chance. You have nothing to lose. If you're sitting at home listening to me, you don't have to be here in this building. You don't have to come down to these altars. They're a wonderful place. Don't get me wrong. But wherever you are, God will meet you. And if you decided that in, in light of what Jesus did, and I, I've got to... I, I need to stop calling the shots. If y'all bow with me for a moment. Father, there are people listening right now who've, in light of Jesus, they're now looking at their life a little bit differently right now, right in this very moment. Father, and you know this. Father, by the power of your spirit, encourage them simply to say some simple words. Father, I, 
I'm tired of calling the shots. I've made a mess of things, and I need salvation. I need to be saved because I've tried to save myself, and I've made a mess of it. I need what Luke talked about. I need that in my life right now. So, Father, right now, I, I trust you from here on out. Take over my life. Call me your son now. Call me your daughter now. Because I'm tired of being an orphan. So, Father, just invade my life. Father, there are other people in this room who have accepted your son a long time ago, and yet they still struggle. So, Father, right now, I just pray that 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 person, whoever they are, another simple prayer, Father, refill me. I've been running on empty, and I, I haven't been feeling it, and I haven't seen the light of Jesus in a while. Fill me with his light. Entirely sanctify me this morning. Expel all of the hurts and all the the things that I've been thinking about doing. Just expel them right now, Father. Fill me completely with your presence so that I can see you, so I can see clearly. Open the eyes of my heart, Father. Father, thank you so much for what you've done this morning through your word, ancient words. Still speak. guess just thank you. Thank you, Father, for everything that you've done this morning, by what your Son did and what your Holy Spirit continues to do. Thank you. In your Son's name I pray. Amen.